But in the meantime, we're talking about how to throw a great party. And when you're throwing a great party at your, how many of you have thrown a great party? Okay, okay, maybe 50% of us. The rest of us, better luck next time, okay? It's going to go good. But here's the thing. When we're throwing a great party, it's, it is kind of like the way we think of church. Church is a celebration. It's something that we actually put time into thinking about how do we do this. We want to get ready for the guests that come through here. We, we, we put intentional, intentionality into it, and we want it to be great. People show up like a great party at your house that you weren't expecting, that happens, and we love it at this church because that is what it's all about. Now, with regard to the fact that we have um, just the notion of uh, church being in that vein, we have to realize that last week we talked a little bit about what that looks like. We talked a little bit about the fact that with regard to what Paul says, we need to be wise in the way that we act towards outsiders and that we need to make the most of every opportunity. And this basically means that as a church, we are not just thinking about the insiders. We have to clean house of that concept. We have to clean house of that mindset. But we're instead shifting our perspective to being insiders who are trying to see outsiders become insiders to make more outsiders come inside. The whole goal of the mission that Jesus gave us. But with regard to this, we have to realize that when cleaning house is not all that it takes to have a great party especially if you have kids. If you're having a great party and you have kids at your house, it complicates things, right? Some of you, you don't even need to have kids. You know this to be true because your parents did something whenever they were having people over to their house. Whenever they were having a party at their house and you were in that house, they always gave you some pre-party threats, right? So help me if you embarrass me this time. So help me. And all of a sudden, you have all these new pre-party threats and, and uh, different rules of engagement. Okay, seriously, kids, no bad language, no violence, do not light anything on fire. Edward, do not light anyone on fire. We, you'd have all these brand new things. In my house, it was actually a little bit more of this. What my dad always said to me was, don't be squirrely. Seriously, Errol, stop. Just don't be squirrely, okay? When people come over, just be normal. As normal as you can be, be normal. Don't be what? Squirrely. Because what would happen was as soon as someone would walk through the door, not just me, but everyone else in my house, all of a sudden like, like so, a, a switch was flipped. And all of a sudden our voices went from the normative voices to this high-pitched voice. And we would just like go from the normative walking through the house to wow, ricocheting, ping-pong balling all over the house. That was us. And each time my dad's like, kids, stop, Errol. Stop being squirrely. Don't be squirrely. And the truth is, is that, that the truth, my, my parents, um, the more kids that they had, they had five kids. Errol, me, Josh, Sarah, Nathan, and Joy. And the more kids my parents had, the fewer parties they had. Not because they stopped having friends, but because they wanted to keep them. And so the truth is, is that this idea of don't being squirrely, what my dad was trying to communicate to me was this, don't be selfish. This is not about you. This is not the Errol show. This is not the Josh show. This is not the Sarah, Nate, or Joy show. As soon as that door opens and they walk through, the guests are the people we are thinking of. We are no longer thinking about us, our preferences, how weird you can be in front of them. And now all of a sudden, the, the whole point, the whole perspective is instead to really be on your best behavior. Today's message is called, Be on Your Best Behavior. This is the second step of how we can throw a great
party being held at your place was simply this. Get along with your siblings. Step one, get along with your siblings. It seems like it shouldn't be a tall order, but it is every single time you have humans present. But it's not just with a party. It is, in fact, with Scripture as well. John, who was like the junior higher in the disciple uh, group, he was like the 13, 14-year-old. He was someone who observed a lot of Jesus' great, some of the greatest things that Jesus said, John heard and recorded them in his biography. One of the things that he recorded was this, Jesus saying, a new command I give you, love one another. Now, we're supposed to love everyone as Christians. We're supposed to love even our enemies as Christians. We're supposed to love even people who are like hating on us and violent towards us. We're called to love them. But that's not what Jesus is talking about here. He's saying, a new commandment I give you, and he's talking to a specific group of people, his followers. And his followers, he's saying, here's the command, love one another. Your brothers and sisters in Christ, love one another. Well, to what degree? Like a little bit more specificity might be nice, Jesus. Okay. As I have loved you, so you must love one another. Now, John is writing about Jesus' words that Jesus said before the cross, but he's writing them after he has already seen the cross, the death of Jesus. And so what he understands is, I mean, what he heard before the cross, as he's writing this, after the cross, those words must have been so weighty. As I have loved you, how did Jesus love us? Sacrificially, completely, wholeheartedly willingly, putting his preferences on the back burner. I mean, that's what he's prayed in the garden. Not my will, but yours be done. And not only this, he talks about the effect of this. If this actually is done by the disciples, if disciples actually love one another, something happens. Check it out. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if, if you love one another. That's huge. That's massive. I mean, Jesus is saying, if we actually love one another, people are going to be more attracted to Jesus. If this in here, the Christians in here, interact with one another in a significantly sanctified, set-apart way, where we love each other in spite of our differences, all of a sudden, the world will pay attention. Now, John records Jesus saying this, but it must have put a dent on his psyche. Because later on, he writes this, this letter to a church. We call it First John. But it's basically his God-inspired commentary on some of the things that Jesus taught, including that passage. Listen to what he says in 1 John. Dear friends, since God so loved us, again, he just pointed out, I know, I, I've seen, I understood the, the gravity of what he did for us. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us, and his love is made complete in us. Your world has never seen God, neither have you. But if you as Christian siblings love each other, you are united, the world sees that and they're drawn to him. It's like, it's almost as if uh, Jesus and John are saying here, you ought to love one another. You owe it to God to love one another. You owe it to each other to love one another. And you owe it to the world to love one another. And as big a deal as that is, It's even bigger because Jesus actually prayed for you 2,000 years ago for that to happen. This is before he goes to the cross. And he's praying for his disciples that they get this. 
He's praying for his disciples that they will be, in spite of the fact that they're different, in spite of the fact that his disciples are politically diverse, ethnically diverse, they've got different interpretations of scripture, that they would be unified in spite of their differences, that they would be unified. And Jesus prays for them, but he doesn't stop with praying with them. He turns and he says he's praying for you. Listen to what he says. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. That's us. That's you and me. That all of them may be what? Wow. Jesus was praying for something we're still struggling with. And I'm so glad that he's praying for us because, I mean, if it was just like, you know, a bozo praying for us, well, I don't know. But Jesus was praying for this. That means that (laughs) the Father's listening. That all of them may be one, Father, just as you and me and I am in you. He continues, I in them and you and me, so that they may be brought together, they, they may be complete, sorry, in unity. Then, that's a huge statement. If they're brought together, God, unite them, make them one. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. One of the key things that we need to understand that we have at our disposal in making an impact on the world, like we could do all the right stuff in so many different ways, but if we're not unified as Christians, if there's not a love that extends beyond just our friend group as Christians, if we're willing to divide just as fast as the world around us as Christians, the world will not know, according to Jesus, the world will know if we are united and one. So the way that we interact as siblings in our faith is huge. And you would tell that to your kids before the guests get here. Okay, come on, seriously. Get along with your siblings. Just get along with them. I know that you guys don't agree. I know that you guys have got your own. Because as soon as that door opens and the guests walk through, we need to be on our best behavior. We need to be showing a difference. One of the, the hilarious things that parents have whenever I've been invited over to someone's house and their kids are going bananas, the parents are like, they're not always like this. And I'm like, well, they're like it now. And everybody in that situation gets all judgy, don't they? I mean, like, we all like, oh, man, what terrible parents. It's almost as if, like, the kids reflect the parent. That's what Jesus is saying. What Jesus is saying. The way that we interact with each other reflects our Heavenly Father. Are we doing a good job of reflecting what he's called us to exhibit? Get along with your siblings. But not just get along with your siblings. Not only that, take care of your guests. Take care of your guests. Um, one of the key things that, that we see within Scripture is the reality that what Jesus is calling the church to be is counterintuitive with what religion typically does. Again, we talked about this last week, but world religions are awesome. They're epic at making epic insiders, people who are thinking about what do we believe, how do we act, and, and basically how do we keep the outside out and keep the insiders in. Christianity was the first movement that would be a faith movement that thought of outsiders, that wanted to go to outsiders and make outsiders insiders. That was profound. But what was even more profound was the lengths to which they would go. One of the rising stars in Christianity, and we could see it reflected in our scriptures, is Paul. Paul's a guy who was a hater of Jesus. He was an atheist with regard to Jesus being God. And all of a sudden, he flips the script and puts his trust in Jesus. 
Once he puts his trust in Jesus, all of a sudden he starts moving all across the world doing exactly what Jesus said to, to take this message to all the people. And he does that. And as he does that, he's a rising star. People are blown away by him. And he has every right to demand respect, every right to demand a great salary, every right to demand um, accolades and props and to be carried into each city as he's coming in. But he doesn't. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 9, he says that as somebody who's thinking about the mission, I put all those rights on the back burner. All my preferences, all my rights, I put them behind me. He says this, but we did not use this right, the right to demand being treated this way. I'm an apostle. I could demand it. I'm choosing not to. On the contrary, we put up with anything. We put up with anything rather than hinder the gospel of Christ. Paul is saying there's a resiliency and a strength within a follower of Jesus that says, listen, the number one priority is the gospel of Christ. And I'm going to put up with just about everything as far as my preferences being backburnered for that. He continues on later on in that passage. Though I am free and belong to no one, I have made myself a slave to who? Just the Christians? Just the people who are really, really awesome, godly people? No, everyone. To win as many as possible. So we know already he's talking about non-Christians. The people that he's discussing here, that he's trying to make himself like in order to reach, are non-Christians. To the Jews, I became... I became like a Jew to win the Jews. Now, to become a Jew, was he denying Jesus' divinity? No, absolutely not. But he started thinking, from, and he understood what a Jewish person thought like because that was his culture. So he dipped into that culture to reach that culture. To those under the law, I became like one under the law. Though I myself am not under the law, so as to win those under the law. To those not having the law, I became. This is a consistent serial choice that this Paul is making. Like one, not having the law. Though I am not free from God's law, but I am under Christ's law. So as to win those not having the law. To the weak, to the weak, I became weak to win the weak. He ramps up just at all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. This statement is massive. It's so massive. I'm just going to like go back just a couple of steps here. I have become all things. What this is saying is that I am actually making a choice to be more flexible and less rigid. My tendency will be to grow more and more rigid, more and more hemmed in and structured. And I'm making the choice to become all things. That's a flexibility. I got a question to ask you. If you've been a Christian for five years, have you noticed yourself becoming more and more flexible with your approach towards outsiders or more and more rigid? The further along in your faith and your spiritual maturity, are you seeing yourself becoming more flexible or are you becoming more rigid? Because what Paul is saying is that the deeper in his faith he's gone, he's not dropped convictions or I don't know if I believe the Bible anymore. That's all solid. But his approach is radically more flexible. Are you more flexible or is rigor mortis setting in and you're just like a dead believer? I have become all things. To all people so that by all possible means. And here's, this is huge. To all people, that, this is the mission. What did Jesus say? Go to all people. Make disciples of all people. 
Paul is reflecting out the very mission. What's your mission? All people. Not just some people. Our mission is all people. What's the method? All possible means. Which means are off the table? All possible means. What what about, this is crazy. Like I've heard about churches meeting in, in bars. What about that? All possible means. I heard about churches that, that meet in homes. They don't even have like a, like a massive building. All possible means. My goal, my mission is all people, and I'm going to utilize all possible means. Why? Because I'm growing more and more flexible because the mission is that important. The mission is imperative, which leads us to that final part, that I might save some. That by all possible means, I might save some. Paul's fully aware of the fact that there's a whole lot of people who are going to hear his invitation to this great celebration and reject it. There's a whole lot of people who are going to laugh in his face or spit in his face because he's talking about the fact that they're a sinner and they need Jesus. He gets that. He totally gets that. But he doesn't care. His goal is to become all things to all people so that by all possible means, he might save some. Because this is so critically important. It's so massively important that they understand. This is why um, one of the things that that we want to emulate here as a church, one of our values at this church is the type of flexibility that that this should be showcasing. Because the thing is this, um, as a people, what we need to recognize is that when we, even though you could fake being good when your parents had people over for a party, you can't fake being authentically loving to other people. That's something that we, we, that's when we say being real with each other, that's what we're saying. We have to have that, that reality within our interactions with each other as spiritual siblings. And when it comes to our guests, we need to be the type of people who are not coming in saying, this isn't done the way that I like it. And it should be done the way that I like it because I'm here and I'm, I'm whatever. This has been my church for a long time. Instead, we got to be the people that are like, what helps us with the mission? What are we doing that's not helping us with the mission? And let's move in to those things that will help us better reach who? The people who have yet to be saved. Now, is it going to save all of Grundy County? No. But what if we were the type of people that actually were attracting people to Jesus? When you've got tickets to a concert or a, or a sports game and you've got extra tickets, you call everyone you know. You're texting everyone you know to try to get like those. You want to get people to utilize those tickets because, number one, you're stoked for whatever the concert is, you're stoked for whatever ball game it is, and you really want these people to be a part of it because you know that they're going to love it. And, and you don't want to see the tickets go to waste, right? What if we felt the same way about church? What if we invited our world in such a way because we desperately knew that if they actually connected with Jesus, and they're not all going to connect with Jesus, but if they actually connected with Jesus, it would be a world-changing difference in their lives. How would we then, how would we interact with people if we did that? What if we, what if we when we actually entered into church life, it wasn't just about, man, I really love the sermon today. I really love the worship today. Man, it was really good to see our friend today. That's all great. But what if it was what if it was more of this reflected? Um, one of the things we talked about several years back was when one of the, the key values within our church is being real with. And that doesn't mean being real jerks. It means being real, uh, having an authentic relationship with God, having an authentic relationship with one another, and having an authentic relationship with the world. What if the Manuka area, they knew Mission Bible Church as this, What if they knew that this was a place to celebrate the one true God 
Whether or not you agreed with God or not, you knew that these people really meant it, and they showcased it by the way they treated each other and the way they treated the outside world around them. We talked um, a long time ago about the fact that um, this is a flip-flops and Florsheim church. Um, I'm going to embarrass him, but Bob, Bob is the best-dressed person at Mission Bible Church. I'm just going to say it. It's a fact. Um, you can debate me, but you can fight Bob in the parking lot if you disagree. Bob is the nicest-dressed guy here. Bob has always tried to help me be as nice-looking as possible, and he has failed miserably. Um, but one of the great things I love about Bob is this. I love the fact that Bob comes dressed the country, you certainly would dress up. I love that. That's Bob being authentic. He's worshiping the king of kings. The thing I love about Bob is that Bob will be in the same room, sometimes in the same row, sometimes sitting next to the, a person who looks nothing like that. They've come in <laughs> cut off shorts, flip-flops, and they've got full-scale uh, ink tattoos all over their arms. And, it, and you know what? Bob standing next to someone like that might not work in any other setting. Bob worshiping and with a full heart that might not work in another setting but bob is someone who's part of our church and he knows that that person's coming just as they are and that at this place that's what we want we want people to come authentically just as they are and that looks different one of the things that i hope you see on stage is that when different pastors preach they look different and that's not because we said okay now this week we would like you to wear dockers this week please wear jeans we don't do that. That's goofy. The reason we don't do that is because we want the people up front to be reflecting that this is a place where you can come just as you are. That we are a flip-flops and Florsheim church. A church that's not trendy or traditional. We're not old or young. We're not hip or has-been. We're, we're, we're a church that our goal is just to keep our, our self-mission-focused and recognizing that when we do that, when we're authentically worshiping God and we're authentically opening our arms to whomever comes through these doors, that will be a testimony to the world around us. There was someone, and I just read this tweet this week, and I thought this was so cool. Um, this person wrote, said that my husband, uh, she, she tweeted, my husband has rules of engagement whenever we go to church. And these are the three rules of engagement. Number one, and a lone person in our gathering is an emergency. We're in the room and we see someone that's all by themselves, it's an emergency for this couple. Two, friends can wait. Three, introduce a newcomer to someone else. And she finished it off by saying, let's all be missionaries at church today. One of the things that if we are going to be the type of people that are cleaning house, of the outsider-insider mentality. And instead, we are insiders who are desperately loving and looking out for outsiders. And we're the type of people that are desperately looking around and saying, how do we do a better job of loving each other as siblings and stepping into taking care of our guests? One of the key things we're going to do is when we come through these doors, we're not just going to find our places, but we're actually going to reach out and engage. Now, let's be honest. COVID is a bizarre time to try that out, right? I mean, the idea of engagement is... is the opposite of thing of what, what we're trying to, what, what, what being safe sounds like doing. But I want to encourage you, at the 830 service included, to find ways to connect with people in this room. To find ways that when you see someone that's all by themselves, you make sure that they're not alone. And if you're all by yourself, you're like, well, hey, I'm all here by myself, but that's cool because I'm going to go and I'm going to go talk to or introduce myself to someone else. 
which you might find is you already know them, but they have a mask on. But the key thing is this, is that as we keep reaching out, we're going to create a culture here at 830. Mission Manuka at 830 is going to be a culture where what if people said, man, listen, I hate waking up early, but that service is the nicest service. Those people really care. Like they really, they really care. And if I came all by myself, I know for a fact that someone would find me. One of the things that we get every single uh, week or at least every other week is uh, a first-time visitor card. And, and you may have filled this out when you first came to this church. But it's just, what did you notice first? What did you like the best? What did you like the least? And the thing that we're very encouraged by is that there's so many of these cards that come through that say, this is the friendliest church I've ever been to. It's so cool. I was welcomed by so many people. By the time I, from the parking lot to my seat, I was just I was greeted. I, I was made to feel at home. But every once in a while, for every three of those, you'll have one that says, this is the coldest church I've ever been to. No one said anything to me. <laughs> that breaks my heart. Because I know, it also breaks my heart because a lot of times it's in the same service. But all that means is that, as a church, let us be the type of people who are getting along with our siblings, loving one another, and we are taking care of our guests in a way that we make sure that we're the type of people that if we see a person all by themselves, it's an emergency. Our friends can wait. And that we introduce that first-time visitor or newcomer to people that we're with or someone else that's new. I want to encourage you, as things start to get more and more casual as far as CDC recommendations, for you to be the type of person that finds someone that says, okay, you know what? We're hungry. Uh, we sat through that whole service and we were starving. You may have heard my stomach. Let's go ahead and go to Tasty Bite after this, or let's go to Teardrop, or let's go to Grandma's, or let's, let's, go, let's actually gather together with someone that we were just meeting at church and start to make a culture where we're starting to expand out the love that God has called us to. I've become all things to all people so that by all possible means, I might save some. May that be what mission is known for. Amen? Amen. Let's stand for prayer. Lord Jesus, we lift up to you the fact that we um, wrestle and struggle with this um, more often than not. Lord, it it's, doesn't take long before the fact that we were new in this building or in this congregation or new to the faith gets replaced by insider mentality that's thinking about our preferences, our priorities, our rights, and forgetting about the fact that you've called us to be mission sensitive. That our goal and our, our, our reach would be something that would extend beyond if I came and I found a good seat, I got to hear the music I wanted or the message that was applicable to my life, but instead, God, it would be lifestyle, and that that will give you glory. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, amen, amen.